Hey, from 1994 to 96, I was at Denver Seminary working on my Master of Divinity, and that relates to this because we had um, two guys who were big Nebraska Husker football fans in our class, and we went right through together. They lived on campus, and for those of you who followed the Huskers, in 1994, how many games did they lose that year? They lost zero. 1995, how many games did they lose? Zero. And one of these guys lived in the fourth floor. The, the student housing was four floors. And he would get out on Saturday, and he would put a big Herbie Husker blow-up doll up on the roof of the student housing at Denver Center. I'm not sure what the administration thought about that. But every Saturday, you could see Herbie Husker there. And these guys were in their glory because they were in Colorado buff country, and, and they could just talk smack because 94, 95, undefeated, national champions. And 96 starts the same they go and they uh, play Michigan State to open. I think they beat them 55-7. to seven. They have a bye game, and then they go out to Arizona State. And it's a night game, and I go to bed, and I get up the next morning, and there's a big banner across the thing. They lost. They lost, it said. And somebody had climbed up on the roof and deflated. Herbie Husker. So there's Herbie deflated there. The Huskers were off track. They lost 19 to nothing. They had this proficient offense. and Well, they got back on track. They only lost one more game that year. Scott, that was Scott Frost's first year as quarterback, starting quarterback. And then in 97, they ran the table, shared the national championship. So they got back on track. But I will never forget getting up that morning. We, we were going to church up in Greeley, and, and there it is. They lost. And there's Herbie shoo, deflated. The Huskers were off track. I don't know what they figured out, but Osborne and the coaches, they figured something else, and they got back on track. Well, some of us, as we start the new year, feel a bit like Herbie Husker up on the, the airs come out. And truth be known, we're off track with God. And I want us, as we begin the new year, to think about getting back on track with Him. What does that look like? How does that happen? We're going to talk about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you would open that to, to Joshua 8, we're going to go through this chapter and wrestle with that question, how do we get back on track with God? Let me set the stage for Israel. They had been 400 years in slavery, and God called a guy named Moses. He said, you're going to lead the people out from under the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt, most powerful man in the world. And Moses said, how? Nobody's going to listen to me. God said, you trust me. And, and so Moses led a series of 10 plagues, which um, finally convinced Pharaoh I need to let him go. Then he chases his army after them. Uh, I want them back. That's a lot of cheap labor I've just let go. And, and they're backed up to the Red Sea, and God parts the Red Sea, and Israel goes through, and the Egyptian army comes, and the Red Sea passes over them. And um, so God has shown himself. And, and so now Israel is, is on their way to take the promised land. A, one generation fails. Uh, but the second generation steps up, Moses dies, and Joshua's in charge. And, and so the first thing they have to do in this quest is they've got to cross the Jordan River, which is at flood stage, and it's about a mile wide. And, and that's exactly what happens. As soon as the, the priests step in the water, the, 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 the river parts, and, and Israel goes right through. And so word is getting out, the, the Israel's on the move. And the first city they come up to is... Um, there's a city called Jericho, and it's a walled city. How do you take out a walled city? They, they, the people just go in, and God says, I'll tell you what, I got a, I got a plan for you. It's going to involve you marching around the city and then sitting down. And you're going to do that 
for six days, march around the city and, and sit down. And that seems like not a really good plan. I don't think they've done that at West Point. But uh, on the seventh day, I want you to shout. And when you shout, the walls are going to fall down. You're going to run in. You're going to take the city. And that's exactly what happened. They took the city of Jericho. So Israel is on track with God. But, but something happens in that taking of the city. God said, you don't take any of the spoil. And there, a guy named Achan said, man, that, that looks... That looks too good. Maybe if I just put a little, and I'll, I just won't tell anybody, and I'll just bury it, and I'll hide it. And so he does. And in, in uh, Joshua 7, Israel goes, and they're going to take on Ai. And Ai is a little dinky city. And you think after crossing the Jordan River and taking out Jericho, it'd be no deal. But they lose. They lose the battle of Ai. And it's kind of like, what's the deal? What happened here? Well, God says there's, there's a sin in the camp, and they find out it's Achan, and Achan confesses, and God judges his family, and says, okay, you're, you're, you're back on track, you're back right with me, and that's where we pick it up in chapter 8. Israel is going to get back on track, and so um, Joshua comes before the Lord, and here's how it goes, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to Ai. See, I've given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So the first thing Joshua does is he needs to hear from God. And maybe that's what you do when you get off track, but when I get off track, I want to fix it. I want to do something. I'm a doer. And I, I, I want to I, I, I fix it. We need to hear from God. Before we go fixing, we need to hear from God. And, that, and that's what Joshua does. And, and God said, don't, I don't want you to fear. Again, God's number one command to his people, do not fear. I, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. This is, this is, I've got this. And you're going to go to Ai, and you're going to take the city. Verse 2, he says, you shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its catalyst plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So a couple things there of note. You only take its spoil and catalyst plunder for yourselves. It's limited in what you can do. Second thing, it's not, going to be, it's not going to be the march around the city plan like we did with Jericho. It's going to be a little different. I'm going to have you set an ambush. So in J Joshua 8, verse 3, he sends out 30,000 troops as part of the ambush. And here's what he says to them. Verse 4, he commanded them saying, See, you're going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and when they come out to meet us at first, we will flee from them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say, they are fleeing before us as at first. So we will flee before them. And you will rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall sit, set the city on fire. You shall do it according to to the word of the Lord, see, I've commanded you. How are they supposed to do it? According to what? The word of the Lord. If you get nothing else here, people, we're going to do it according to the word of the Lord. We didn't do that, or one of us didn't do that at Achan, and that was at, at Ai, and that was recorded in, in Joshua 7. And, and it cost us. 
We're going to do this according to the word of the Lord. Um, and so, verse 9, Joshua sends them away, and, and, they, and they set the trap. Um, verses 10 through 13, again, they continue setting the bait. Uh, verses 14 to 17, uh, the king of Ai takes the bait. And I'll, I'll just read this summary in verse 17. Here's what it says. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel. And they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. So, so here's what happens. They got these 30,000 troops or so in ambush. And, and Joshua leads the troops up to Ai. And then they begin to flee. And the king of Ai goes, look, they're running again. We're, we're going to rout them. And so let's go, troops. We're going after them. Now, if you're Joshua, that's a bit of a risk because you're going to flee. You're going to turn and you're going to go. Uh, this is war. Soldiers die. You know, what if, what if the people don't get the plan? What if, what if, what if, what if, you know, the, the thing at Jericho, the, the march around the city and shout, that seemed to work. Why don't we? It's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, because we're after the fact. We get the results. But following God, obeying God, has risks. For Joshua, it was his life. For you or me, obeying God also has risks. Like not getting the promotion. Because you don't participate in our jokes and you don't go to our Friday afternoon clubs and drink and whatever, and, and, and you know, you're not really one of us, and, and so, you know, I mean, nobody's going to say anything because that's a class action discrimination suit, but you're going you're to get passed over because you're a religious zealot. Or, you know, you're applying to graduate school, and, and you put in there that they ask, and it's a science kind of thing, you believe in, in creation, it's like, no, no, that's, that's, a, that's not an educated opinion. Or, or maybe you're, you're in high school or college, and you, know, you want to be popular and you want to be in, but what it takes to be popular and what it takes to be in, you're not willing to do. And it's talked about in, you're not anymore in or popular. Or, you know, perhaps you're, you're single and I was single until I was 33, so I know how it goes. And, and you've seen the, the, the biblical record, and, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's pretty clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not supposed to start a relationship with somebody who's not a follower of Jesus. Don't, don't even start the dating relationship because dating leads to marriage. Don't, don't go there. And, and, and you're wrestling with that because you're single, and you've been single a while, and, and your friends are going out, and, and, and that looks pretty good. And, and, and you know, how long, how long do, do I hold on to this conviction? Because... There's risks. There's costs to obeying God. Now, now, just so you know, the costs in other parts of the world are, are much higher. For some people in other parts of the world, you, you go to jail or your family disowns you or you lose your head. So, so let, let's be, put it in, in perspective. But still, there, there are costs to obeying God. But that's, that's exactly what Joshua does. And so the plan is put into action. And verse 18 says, this then. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. 
The men in ambush rose quickly from their place, and when, they had when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they quickly set the city on fire. So here's what you got. You got Joshua and the troops, they, they pull up and then, and then they retreat. The king of Ai thinks, oh, we've got a route here, let's go. And then they're going and they're seeing, they look back and all of a sudden, their city's on fire. The place they're trying to defend is, is up in smoke. And all of a sudden, they've got troops coming this way from the city, and they're caught. In verses 20 to 23, detail the route. Only the king survives, and we'll get to the king in just a minute. And then in verses 24 and 25, the, the troops of Israel go through, and, and they put 12,000 people to the sword. We'll talk about that. Here's what verse 26 says. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he had stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of the city of Ai. Now catch this. Verse 27. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of the city as plunder for themselves according to what? The word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. If you get time this afternoon, go home and read Joshua chapter 7. They lost to Ai. Ai is a dinky little city. It's not that big, 12,000 people. They've got a massive army. How'd they lose? Well, they weren't obeying God. Chapter 8, they take the city, and the difference is they obey God. So they're on track now to keep going and take the promised land. What was the difference between Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8? Chapter 7, they didn't obey God. Chapter 8, they did obey God. So we're talking about how do we get fully back on track with God? How do we get back on track with God? By fully obeying God. Here's how we do it. By fully obeying God. Now, that's a bit of a challenge in our culture because we're a, a culture that lives by uh, feelings and emotions and desires. This is what I want. This is, and, and, and we are central. Well, I read this on Facebook yesterday. I don't know who said it, so, so it's not, Facebook is not a, a total, total loss. But th this person wrote, when feelings and desires and emotions override the Word of God, we're following self, not God. When my, when my feelings and my emotions and my desires come in conflict with the Word of God, and no, I can't do that because I've got this strong feeling, I've got this strong sense, and that feeling, and we rationalize it this way, that, that feeling or that sense or whatever, it, it must be from God. I'm going with my feeling even though I know it's in contrast to the Word of God. We are not following Christ at that point. We are following self. And the lesson of Joshua is if we want to get back on track with God, we need to fully obey God. Now, here's the challenge of that. You and I have the same problem. We were born with a rebellious nature towards God. He created us to be in a relationship, and it has been passed down through the generations, this nature that we say, God, you go your way, I'll go mine. I'll call my own shots, I'll do my own thing, and I'll consult you when I, when I get in some trouble, I get a cancer, I lose a job, or my kids are rebelling, or whatever it is, I, I will certainly call you. I will, I, I will pray, and I will ask. But in day-to-day, -day, I'm just doing my own thing. 
The Bible calls that self-directed life sin. It says there's an eternal separation from that. And that the challenge of sin is we can't submit. There's part of us that rebels against God. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came according to the plan of God. He was born. That's what we celebrated. But he was born to die. And he lived the life you and I are supposed to live. He followed God, the Father, right up to the point he died on the cross. And in doing that, he paid for your sin, and if you will trust him, he will renew you, and he will restore you, and he will deal with the curse of the law. Okay, if, if I say to you, hey, there's a mess over here, don't look. Don't, don't look. What are you going to do? I tell you not to do something, don't do it. And I, you look, you look, that's what you do. And that's the problem with the law. We come in and, and we, we have all these things. Don't, don't do this, don't do that. And, and it creates this, I'm going I'm to do just the opposite. The law was given to say, you can't please God on your own. You need a Savior. You need to be born again. You need to be restored. You need to be renewed. Here's what Christ did. Paul writes about it in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Here's what he says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. God promised all these blessings. It's coming to us through Jesus. So that we should receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The curse of the law is you and I can't obey God on our own. We can't. We fail every time. Jesus said, I want to come in and I want to renew you. I want to restore you. And I want to change your heart and your values from the inside out. John 8, 29 says that Jesus always pleased the Father. Would you allow Jesus to do a work in your life so that you and I can begin to please the Father? That's what we call spiritual growth. When somebody gives an infection, especially an infection they can't beat, what do they give them? They give them an antibiotic. Why? It strengthens them. It gives them the resources to fight the infection they can't otherwise fight, right? You're not going to win this spiritual battle on your own of obeying God. If, if you think, yeah, I'm just going to suck it up, I'm going to do it, then, then I failed. It's, it's not what restores us a, a buck up, I'm going to do it. It's, it's a greater desperation, a greater understanding of our need for Jesus. Would you call him, throw yourself at his mercy? Say, Jesus, I, I need a work of you that I can live, I can get back on track with you this year, fully obeying you. And if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never made that decision, what a time, even now, as we start 2019, to believe him for him to do a work in your life. Now, I, I want to deal with um, several verses. Verses 24 and 25 say that the soldiers came into the city and they put 12,000 people to, to the sword. Verse 28 says Joshua burned the city. Verse 29 says Joshua hanged the king. And they did this all under God's direction. And people say, what's the deal? Now, it's beyond the scope of this message to give a full talk about the judgment of God, but I want to say this, God will judge sin. Well, isn't he gracious? Isn't he pa yes, he is. He is patient, and he is kind, and he is long-suffering, but he's also just and righteous, and, and those, all those attributes meet personally in the Father, but at some point, he says, enough is enough, and I'm going to bring my judgment. 
We won't turn there, but in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, God said to Israel, I'm going to bring you into the land. Now, he said to them, don't think it's because of your righteousness that I'm bringing you. It has nothing to do with you. It's because of the wickedness of those people that I'm moving them out of the land. These people had sinned to the point that they had triggered the judgment of God and were left to speculate. We don't know what it's like. Well, could we talk in child sacrifice? Could we talk in rampant immorality? Can we be talking trampling the poor? Can, I mean, your, your imagination. And at some point, the gracious, jo- loving, long-suffering, patient God says, enough, my justice demands that I act. That's what's going on here. And so to say, again, oh, God can't be like that. Yeah, yeah, he can. Let's not... Let our feelings and our thoughts determine who God is. Let's let God tell us about himself. And he said, I am gracious and I am long-suffering and I am patient, but at some point I will judge sin. So AI has been defeated. The city has been destroyed. Israel is back on track with God. And I want you to read about the, 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 the victory party they have. And it starts in verses 30 and 31. It says, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord God, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel... And as it is written in the book of the law, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. They made a sacrifice to God. They take something in value and gave it to Him. They worshipped God. Now, we don't offer sacrifices anymore, but, but Romans 12.1 says that we're a living sacrifice. And we're offering ourselves. And so when we come on Sunday morning, and particularly when we're singing songs, that's what we're doing. We're offering ourselves to God. So I hope you see the three songs we do and the one after and the one open. I hope you don't see us something that we do. We do that to get to the message. No, 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 no. No, this is an important part. This is a giving of ourselves to God. And Daniel chooses those words intentionally to lead us in giving ourselves to God. So as you come on Sunday morning, would you enter with that? Because this is what these people are doing. They thought, man, we've gotten off track with God. One of the ways we get off track with is, is give ourselves to God. It, it sets the order right. We're serving Him. Verses two, 32 and 33, um, they... They have a copy of the law, and it says after this in verses 34 and 35. Then afterward, he read, Joshua, all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living on it. Okay, so first they offer sacrifices, and then they have a reading of the law. Why? They need to hear from God. If we're going to obey God, we need to know what he says. That that makes sense. We need to hear from him. We need to get direction from him. Well, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophets, and the prophets recorded, and it was written down. Today, we have the recording of those writings, and we have uh, the recording of the the disciples, and it's written in our Bible. And we open the Bible every Sunday, because this is the word of the Lord. And, and, And we need to know what is in here. 
But it is not enough every Sunday for 20 or 30 minutes while Andy or whoever gets up here and talks. That, that's a good start. But you and I need to be in the Word of God regularly. Now, if you've got a reading plan and you're going through the Word of God, go for it. I don't want to change. You go for it. But if you don't, we've got a reading plan for you. It's called the North Point Reading Plan. It's two bookmarks, and they're free, absolutely free. You can get them back there. And you put one in the book of Matthew, which is the gospel, and you put one in the book of Romans. And, and on, on day one, you read Matthew 1 and you read Romans 1. And then on day two, you move those, and you go to Matthew 2, you go to Romans 2, and you work your way through the gospels and through the book of Acts, and you work your way through the rest of the New Testament. And, and the idea is you get a life in the day of Jesus in the gospels, or a life in the day of the early church in the book of Acts, and then you get some teaching, some doctrine, so we can know what's true. It's not the only way, but if you're looking for a way, how do I get started, let me suggest this. Why? Because if we're going to get back on track, we need to obey God. And if we're going to obey God, we need to know what He's saying. Second thing I want to put out for your consideration, um, you need to know what you believe. Where do you stand on basic biblical doctrine. Well, we've had this out for about four months. A friend of mine was on staff at Flatirons Church in, in Boulder. They had a baptism service one weekend. They had 1,200 people get baptized. And they thought, how do you, how do you follow up 1,200 people? Um, so they, he wrote this out, and it really does a good job of going through some basic stuff of our faith. Like the first one is an uh, interaction God has with a guy named... Um, uh, I'm blanking, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes and says, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, you need to be born again. And it talks about our need to be born again and what do we do, how we come to faith and what do we do when we sin. Uh, these are $7 to cover the cost. If you don't have the money, please just take one. But maybe a good start to your year is, is knowing where you stand with God. And if, if you're not in there, I, I'd encourage you to, to think about that. But, but we're talking about getting on track. And, and New Year is the time when we spend set resolutions and we do things well, um, I would suggest a resolution you and I could have is that, that we get back on track with God. And uh, we are about fully obeying Him that we might experience all He has for us, just like Israel would experience the, the conquering of the promised land. And yet you think this lesson of disobedience would have been a, a lesson that Israel would have carried forward, but, but you read their history, they do it over and over again. Uh, we can do the right things, but, but at the bottom of everything we do is a desperate dependence on Jesus. We need you on a daily basis. We need you on a moment-by-moment basis to change our heart, to renew us, that we live in submission to you, that we are following you. I'm a person, because of my blood pressure, I have to kind of watch my weight because I can track where blood pressure is. My weight goes here and my blood pressure goes here. And so I, as long as I'm at where I'm at, I'm good, but it gets going. I'm, so I kind of weigh every morning and I do this thing. Well, over the Christmas holidays, I got up a couple of three pounds because there's all kinds of food and there's all kinds of stuff around. And I just thought, I, this has got to stop. And so I, I just had to make a decision, hope, everything, got to go. We got to go back to, to uh, I got to get back on track with what I'm eating. Otherwise, I'm going to be in trouble down the road, be on medication I don't want to be on if I can avoid it. Well, I think that's just a picture. What's going on physically is, is uh, just a picture of what we need spiritually. We need to get back on track. 
And some of us have gotten off track. Getting back on, it's, it's, it's not complicated. It's not hard. It's simply a, minute, uh, a process of saying, God, I, I want to follow you, and I want to follow you fully, and, and I can't do it on my own. And so I, I, I'm laying myself before you for starters, and then I'm committing myself to being in your word and, and praying so I can hear from you and I can carry out those words as you empower me. We get back on track with God by, by fully obeying him. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and then Daniel's going to come back, and he's going to lead us in a song called I Will Follow. I think it's an appropriate song for, for what we've looked at and what we're considering. Would, would you sing that as a prayer um, and ask God, would you make it true of me in 2019 that if they say nothing else about me, that I have followed Jesus? Now let me pray, and then uh, he'll come up and close us. So, Lord, we're grateful um, for the story of your people, and, and they failed a lot. And I pray we can be people that learn from their failures. Uh, they had seen your mighty hand, and yet they had gotten off track with you. Would we be people to get back on track by fully obeying you? Thank you that you have dealt with the curse of the law, that the part that causes us to rebel. Uh, you're changing our hearts. You're changing what matters to us. Um, would, would we press into you that you could work more fully in our lives? I pray in Christ's name. Amen.